Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This podcast is the second in a short series about protein fibers. Now that we've learned about the properties of protein fibers in general, let's really get into wool, which is actually my favorite fiber. to be honest with you, I could probably teach an entire class just about wool. I would use wool to talk about the history of civilization. I would use it to talk about genetics. I would use it to talk about uh, culture. I would use it to, we could talk about everything through the framework of wool. I was telling a student the other day, most of my international travel has basically been about like, can I get to this country because I heard the wool is great there. Now, I'm not saying like, like um, I love my dogs, okay? Uh, my dogs aren't sheep dogs, they're just cute little dogs. I don't know what it'd be like to like have a pet sheep. Uh, the sheep I've met have seem, all seemed very nice. The sheep I've eaten have all tasted very nice, right? So, you know, um, sheep maybe aren't exactly my favorite animal in the whole world, but I love the wool. I love knitting with the wool. I love thinking about the processing of the wool. I love felting the wool. I love spinning the wool into yarn. I just love, love, love wool. Over on my YouTube channel, you're going to find a whole little playlist of videos about wool. Short little four or five minute videos. Like, I had to make a playlist because, like, I'm in love with wool. All right. So, um, it's kind of hard that I have to basically make wool just one podcast in a whole long series of podcasts about textiles. But, uh, but I'm going to do that. I understand. we got a lot to talk about here. So, first of all, uh, when it comes to the protein fibers, uh, the polymers actually have names. And the name of the polymer, uh, the, the protein that is, uh, uh, makes up wool, is called keratin. It's the same protein that makes up things like um, hooves and um, uh, fingernails and stuff like that, right? Um, and actually, that's partly why it can be hygroscopic, because that cuticle on the surface of the fiber is actually pretty smooth um, and hard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you hear about things like keratin hair treatments, which, ugh, that's, they're still just formaldehyde treatments. Uh, they just call them keratin treatments. Like, I don't know, like, um, that'd be th like... It's a little redundant and it's a bit deceptive. Um, it's one of the things that's sort of hard once you learn more about uh, textiles and the materials that surround you. There's a lot of people out there that take advantage of the fact that there's very little education in this area to make a lot of claims to get away with stuff. I'm not saying they're bad people, um, but um, why they can't just like use the truth, right? Uh, so you might pick up a bottle of shampoo and it'll say it has keratin in it, like ground up animal hair. I mean, mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, it doesn't actually like the polymers in your hair, like like adding more ground up hair polymers in there doesn't actually change the structure of your hair at all. Right. Um, it's going to be definitely more about the chemicals, the other chemicals that are in your hair, not the ground up protein that is in the shampoo and how those chemicals actually interact with the protein fiber that is your hair and whether or not they're they're gentle enough right um so uh yeah so keratin is the name of the protein that uh wool is made up of and um if we 
because they're made of amino acids, I can't like talk about each of all the different amino acids uh, in depth, but I, I can mention that wool in particular has a lot of amino acids that contain sulfur, right? Amino, right? So, so all um, fibers contain carbon. Like that's set. And then the hydrogen and the oxygen, right? We have um, hydroxy groups and we have hydrogen ions, um, right? That are sticking off of these amino acids. And to be an amine group in the first place, it has to have nitrogen. Right? That's like a given in amino acids. That's part of their definition. Amine means that it has nitrogen. But not all amino acids have sulfur. And sulfur is a pretty cool molecule because it can form a really stable uh, bond with itself, right? So the disulfide bond, the sulfur to sulfur bond is a covalent bond, which means that the one sulfur needs an electron, the other sulfur, um, they basically are, are, they have like that one electron and they want two. So the one sulfur says, look, I'll give you my electron and then now you have two and I am uh, freed of that one odd number and we can both be happy as long as we stay close to each other. It's like a cute little molecular marriage. So these um, disulfide bonds can happen between the amino acids in the polymer. This is part of what can drive the 3D crimp, right? Because uh, as the polymers bend back on themselves or even as the fiber bends back on itself, um, the polymers can form these very stable disulfide bonds and then retain the kind of kinked shape. This is how a perm works. Um, if you've ever uh, gone into a salon where they're doing, or just in your home where they're doing perms, uh, they're relaxing, right, to, to, to straighten it, or perms for curling, uh, the first step is to actually uh, apply a chemical that breaks all of the disulfide bonds. Then you arrange the polymers in the arrangement that you want them to have, whether it's you know flat and straight or um, curled in a different way. Um, and then you uh, allow them to form new um, sulfur bonds, right, with, the, with their now brand new neighbors um, by uh, removing the chemical that was preventing them from, by neutralizing and, and allowing them to form the new bond. So um, uh, this is something that, that the wool in particular has lots of amino acids that can form this. We, we don't um, bother to like relax pro, uh, wool fibers. We love the fact that they're super crimped. Um, that gives them a lot of cohesiveness. It means we can easily spin fiber, uh, spin yarns using these 3D crimped fibers. Um, and so uh, that's something kind of special about wool. Uh, that I'm explaining now because when I talk about silk, silk is missing the sulfur and so I wanted you to know why having the sulfur is special. Uh, the 3D crimp doesn't just uh, influence the cohesion, right? It also influences the bulkiness. The bulkiness means it takes up more space for its weight. Um, and so you can have like a big fluffy sweater uh, that could be really nice. Um, it doesn't wrinkle at all, right? So that's why um, men, even to this day in the 21st century, will wear wool suiting because the wool suiting is hygroscopic. It absorbs all of their, you know, flop sweat without um, making them look damp, uh, helping them feel cool and comfortable because it has nice thermal retention and um, uh, they can crumple themselves up in a little, um, uh, you know, ball at the bottom of the elevator on their way to confront their boss. And um, when they stand up again, they don't have any wrinkles on their suit, right? I guess I'm picturing kind of a terrible life in a, in a bank somewhere, right? Um, but uh, this, this 
wool is their armor, basically, because uh, it, it prevents people from knowing like how terrified they are all the time. Um, it, it has good stretch, right? So it's very comfortable. You can move, you know, raise your hand and say, I want to buy that, you know, bye, 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 or, um, right, uh, uh, you know, because it has good elongation. And the hand is soft, right? So, um, oh, you know, people sometimes say that they're allergic to wool. And in fact, what they're allergic to is the sharp end of cut wool. I want you to think about this just for a minute. You know when you get your hair cut, right? Um, the fibers, uh, the hair fibers on the back of your neck that fall from your cut hair, they're really scratchy. And that's because they have a very sharp, flat edge where the blade just cut them. And in fact, the, the um, long hairs, right, that, uh, you know, if you get your hair cut, the long hairs at the, at the end where your hair was cut, even those, when they touch your skin, will be kind of scratchy, right? So like you're trying to sleep and your hair may scratch you. I put my hair up on top of my head because of that. But, um... I'm gonna use this term, it feels very, um, it doesn't have to be sexist, there's male virgins too, but uh, virgin hair, hair that's never been cut, so like uh, virgin wool, um, it has a pointed tip because it hasn't been cut, so it's not blunt, and that pointed little tip, that's what makes lamb's wool so valuable. Yes, it, it is cut um, down at the surface where it's, it's sheared away from the surface of the skin, right? But um, in fact, a lot of the wool in a, in a sheep's um, fleece has actually just fallen out of the skin. The sheep shed the wool, right? And so, so it doesn't necessarily have that sharp cut end. And if it's lamb's wool, then um, the it's so what you do is you have to cut the new hair that's coming in. Um, so that you can release the old hair that's like matted on the surface. So then the second time around, they're all pretty much most of the hair will have a blunt end on that sheep because you cut it in the first place. I've sheared sheep with like a big pair of scissors, like clippers would be faster, but you know, it, it was the Faroe Islands. We were doing like a primitive, um, very enjoyable thing, um, you know, and then afterwards have like sheep for dinner. But uh, uh, that blunt end is what actually scratches people. You, you aren't allergic to the keratin, right? If that was the case, you'd be allergic to your own fingernails, okay? It's not causing an immune system response. Your skin is being irritated by scratchy fibers. So chances are you really enjoy very, very soft, fine wool, um, wool that is so thin that even if it was cut, um, that, that blunt edge just isn't very big. Okay, so don't just give up on all wool just because you had a bad experience with one very thick, coarse, lower quality uh, wool fiber. Um, and, and actually, uh, the surface of the wool, we call it the epicuticle. Epi meaning like on the outside, you know, like epidermis is on the outside. The epicuticle is a greasy substance called lanolin. Uh, I have a sweater up there, that one I'm pointing to, that one came from Ireland, it's an Aran sweater. And it still has a bit of grease on it. That's what makes it such a nice sweater for outdoors um, because uh, so when I sniff it, I can smell kind of a woolly smell. Uh, the surface is a little bit greasy. Um, that actually also sort of reduces that scratchy feeling. That sweater there from the Faroe Islands, right? Very, uh, still has quite a bit of lanolin on it. Um, that helps to make it almost waterproof, right? And that's a great feature in parts of the world like Ireland or the Faroes where it rains every day. Um, but uh, uh, that lanolin, uh, in some cases when we process wool, the wool will lose about half of its weight. Uh, we call it greasy wool when it has a lot of lanolin on it. It'll lose about half of its weight in lanolin. 
Uh, we actually collect the lanolin, um, depending on where it's processed, of course. Uh, some places they don't have the ability to collect the lanolin, but in many places a lot of wool processing is now done in China. Um, and that's partly because it has uh, an environmental uh, impact, right? It, it causes, it, uh, it uses a lot of water and the water is now full of uh, soap and grease. And uh, so, uh, for example, we used to have a um, uh, scouring, a wool processing facility here in San Marcos, right there uh, by Spring Lake. Um, I, an older faculty member who's since retired, her home is right there, and she talked about just how it would smell like rancid lanolin um, during uh, scouring season. And, um, and so a lot of neighborhoods don't want that anymore, right? So, um, but wherever it's processed, we save the lanolin and then use it in cosmetic um, materials. So now here's the irony. You can actually be allergic to lanolin. Uh, if you've ever had a problem of, of uh, you may be one of these people, like you're using a, a lip balm and you're like, man, this lip balm, I swear I'm addicted to it or something because like it's just making my lips more chapped, right? Look at the ingredients. If you've ever had a situation where you could like, that's <laughs> so funny, um, uh, my watch just interrupted me. Please be quiet, watch, or I'll take you off. Um, if you've ever had a situation where you're using a lip balm and you can like peel layers of skin off your lip, check the list of ingredients. If lanolin is in the list of ingredients, there's some lipsticks that have lanolin as well, then um, it's possible that you're allergic to lanolin. And you're, the peeling is because what the lanolin does is it, for some people, it actually stimulates your skin to form a new layer. So you shed the old layer of skin and form a new one. And it's kind of itchy while you're shedding your skin. Gross, right? Um, I'm allergic to lanolin. So like after I shared all those sheep in the Faroe Islands, on the way home, my hands started to itch and then I was able to just peel layers of skin off. Oh, I'm so sorry, that's just gross, right? Um, but I, I actually read the ingredients on the lipsticks. I'm careful not to use cosmetic products with lanolin in it because in fact, I do have an actual response that it is a, a type of allergy. So it may not be not so much that you're allergic to wool, like, ooh, it's scratchy. You might be allergic to lanolin, like, ooh, my skin is peeling off. Um, speaking of peeling off, let's talk about the scales. Um, under that lanolin, the wool, uh, the cuticle, which is what we call the surface of the wool, right? Think about the cuticle in your fingernail, right? And there's your fingernail and the cuticle overlaps it. The cuticle and the wool are these scales that overlap each other. Uh, when the wool fiber is moist, it swells, right? All that extra water inside and the cuticles can open up. Um, and uh, so they sort of stick up, right? And that means that it's easier to felt at that point, which is what happens when the um, cuticles tangle with each other. Um, it means that the fiber is more vulnerable to breaking, right? So that's another reason not to brush your hair when it's wet, right? But then um, when it resettles down to it's about 18% moisture content, those scales lay flat and um, they ratchet in just one direction, but um, in that one direction, the surface of the fiber feels very smooth. Now inside the wool fiber itself, and I'm telling you now, I know all this because back in the day, like years ago, I took this same class. I was a grad student and I took textiles, which was the freshman level class. And it, the only reason it's actually quote freshman level is because we know that none of you have ever studied this before, right? And so even though it's pretty complicated and very rich and deep, it's the introductory 
uh, it's inter introduction to a whole new area. So um, I'm just explaining why colleges uh, treat this very complex science as an introductory course. So, um, uh, so back in the day, uh, I had to write an extra paper to get grad credit for the class. So I wrote a paper on advancements in the morphology of wool was the title of the of the paper um, because I was so into like what we had learned about the structure of the wool fiber using scanning electron microscopes so we were able to understand even more about what's happening inside the wool fibers uh, it turns out that some of the polymers twist in one direction and one half of the fiber and that they twist in the other direction in the other half of the fiber and so it's like the you know the, oh wait let's go right no let's go left let's go right let's go left and like the fighting between the two halves of the fiber also contributes to the crimp. I mean, that is so cool. And what we learned when we studied that is that if you had slightly different chemical makeup between the two halves of a fiber, you could actually build crimp into manufactured fibers as well. So we study natural fibers to learn how to make synthetic fibers more like natural fibers. In the very, very middle of the um, wool fiber is uh, where the vein was originally when the fiber was being fed like back in its tiny little infancy but it was still attached to the scalp of the animal um, and it was uh, there's a, a spot right down in the um, oh I'm forgetting the name of it now right but it's the part that's still attached in the scalp um, that's the part like on CSI they're looking for it because if they find that it's got DNA in it <sighs> still not happening but at any rate um, in that part there's a there, this little hollow center will be created because that's where um, the the blood was feeding the the little fiber as it was being built um, you know all of the protein was being delivered to the enzymes that were actually making the fiber as it was growing um, if you cut a wool fiber along the cross section you'll see that it's round but its surface contour is covered with scales right so um, it, it round would say ooh shiny right but then surface contour says no 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 distraction right bumpy surface breaking up light rays so no no not shiny right the wool is not a fiber that we think of as being shiny um, as I said, I have a whole video about felting, but I can uh, just explain briefly, right, that the cuticles all point in one direction, these little scales, which act as a type of ratchet. So the fiber slides smoothly in the direction that the scales are um, originating, right? But if you try to pull the fiber back, right, then the edge of the scale where it sticks up will catch against the surface of other fibers. And that means that all the fibers can only travel in one direction. You get them hot and warm, the fibers swell open and the scales stick out even further, exacerbating that ratcheting effect. So a little moisture, a little agitation, you can actually rub the fiber to tangle it up it gets smaller because the fibers are basically sliding in one direction, getting closer and closer to each other, right? And so all the extra air space has been basically tangled out of the material. Um, but you can actually make uh, uh, textiles just by entangling the, the fiber, the wool fibers, um, allowing the scales to really make a tangled mess. And so you need heat, moisture, and agitation, which is exactly what's happening in most washing machines. We can do some things, some finishes, which we'll talk a lot more about a lot of finishes later, but I like to introduce a few finishes for each of the natural fibers now, just to like, help you get excited about the idea of finishes. Um, none of the finishes improve anything about the surface of the fibers except for dimensional stability. So they don't make them shinier, right? Um, picture a 
a chicken. You pluck off all its feathers. It's not going to bumpy surface. You remove the scales. You don't like make the surface shiny. You just make bumps where the scales used to attach. Okay. So it's not like it suddenly becomes lustrous. It's now just kind of naked and bumpy, right? Um, so luster doesn't happen. Um, it doesn't get any stronger, right? We've in many cases used bleach to remove the scales. Okay. Bleached hair isn't stronger. Bleached fibers aren't stronger either. Um, so it doesn't get any, um, shinier. It doesn't get any stronger. It doesn't get softer, right? Bleached hair certainly isn't soft. Even if we use like a nylon coating to basically glue the scales down, it doesn't change the fact that they still break up the light they're there under that nylon um, and the nylon isn't like actually nice to touch right so um, all that happens when we apply a washable wool finish to wool is we make it have dimensional stability that's all that happens it's, it doesn't get better in any other area except for that one area I just want to clear that up because a lot of people are like well then why don't we do that to everything well sometimes it's worth it to leave the fiber alone and then just launder it very carefully or dry clean it um, if you make it, quote, washable, you've degraded it in a permanent way. All right, so now that we've talked about the external morphology of the wool, um, uh, I want to, like, take us along the process here. We have the, the hair, uh, the, this um, wool that's on the surface of the sheep, right? Um, the weather gets hot, right? And the sheep shed the hair. And, but because the hair can tangle easily, it forms sort of a mat on the surface of the hair. So when we're shearing the sheep, um, what we're doing is we're actually giving them a haircut on the hair that's still growing out of their skin. But that hair, coated by lanolin, is not the hair that's actually tangled. I mean, it is part of the fleece, but it's not the majority of the fleece. So this is my experience shearing sheep, right? You stick your hand in there and kind of lift up. And this whole big mat of hair that's sitting on the top of your hand lifts up and then um, in theory, if you just kind of lift it far enough, you could actually just kind of slide that mat right off. And, and that's what happens in the wild, right? Big chunks of the fleece will fall off, right? It just slides right off of the other hair, right? Because it's like they shed their hair only as a big mat. But if we want to get it all off in one big piece, we'll go in and we'll cut the hair that's holding it, right? The still growing hair that's holding it, creating that blunt end, right? On those hairs that next time will be a tiny bit scratchy. Um... The summer I was in the Pharaohs shearing, um, uh, because of the um, uh, global warming, because of the change in the temperature of the ocean, uh, they're actually not having the same um, high temperatures that they normally have in the summer. It's kind of a weird counter effect, right? Um, so the whole planet's uh, temperature is going up, but like in um, microclimates like theirs, actually the temperature um, has gone down. And if the jet stream quote slips, right, they could end up having an uninhabitable island. Um, so uh, we had to exfoliate quite a bit of their hair. Um, not enough of the hair had come out yet or shed um, so that when we were pulling on their hair to try and shear it, we really couldn't um, we were pulling hair out of the sheep's skin, actually. So exfoliating is like waxing, kind of. Um, uh, you know, you felt bad. You had to get it pulled up far enough, right? So you had to pull out just enough hair that you could get the scissors in there and cut the rest of it, right? But the poor sheep, because it hurt, right? And But we're just trying to get the old fleece off of them because they would be really hot and uncomfortable to have this old fleece on them. So um, we just had to kind of keep a good handle on the sheep and... and um, Exfoliating uh, is what they do uh, to remove the wool from a sheep that's been slaughtered, for example, because at that point it's not going to um, object. Objecting is over. 
Um, and then uh, in the shed there in the Faroe Islands, we graded and sorted the wool, right? So if the fleece felt really nice while we were shearing it, we threw it in one pile. If it felt old and scratchy, we threw it in a different pile. And the pile that felt nice, um, a buyer would stop by and pick it up uh, to make into nice sweaters, they call them jumpers um, and uh, the wool that didn't feel nice would be taken to the incineration plant and burned. Um, and then uh, they would use the heat from the incineration plant to scour it, basically really hot soapy water to remove all of that grease. And then um, we card the fibers using big um, like dog brushes kind of, they've got like um, uh, bent um, uh, wire bristles, right? Um, and uh, uh, carding is the old-fashioned name, but it's a brush, right? So you want to think carding like, oh, you're brushing. And and actually, the difference between a carded fiber and a combed fiber, um, I want you to think about like the difference between, picture somebody with really curly hair. If you brush their hair, their hair gets really big and fluffy, right? And um, so if you want a really big fluffy yarn, you brush it using the card. Um, it takes out all of the tangles, helps remove extra, you know, like um, leaves and dirt and stuff like that, right? That might have been trapped in there, um, removes the tangles, but it's really fluffy and it's used to make big, fluffy, bulky sweaters, right? And we call those big, fluffy yarns woolen. So carded yarns are woolen because they're big and thick and woolly. But if we want to make a fabric that is um, where all of that extra, um, uh, you know, if you if you comb a really fluffy hair, right, you can smooth it down and kind of remove some of that extra air from in there and make it as smooth as possible and get it really nice and tight, like, like you're getting ready to braid it, right? You can make it pretty small. You can twist it pretty hard, right? And then the surface will become shinier. It will become smoother. It's not as fluffy. So carding is like brushing, nice and big and fluffy, and makes what we call woolen yarns. And then if we comb it, right, we further align the fibers, tighten them up, and we make what we call worsted yarns. And worsted is bested, right? That's how I try to remember it. Like, so worsted yarns make the best suits, right? And it's because we combed the fibers after we carded them. Um, and you can do this by hand, but of course it's, it's also done by big machines for the big money. So in, if you have a swatch kit, look through your swatch kit, you'll find examples of yarns that, that are pointed out as being combed or carded. Uh, that would be what, um, the language we use for cotton fibers, right? Combed or carded, or they might be listed as woolen or worsted yarns. And that's what we call it for the woolen because, not just because W starts with W, like woolen and worsted starts with W, but that, that's how I remember them. I promised that I would mention a couple of finishes. So I've already talked about um, uh, felt resistance, right, um, which improves dimensional stability. Um, but I also want to mention um, fulling. So after we've made yarn and we weave or knit the woolen or worsted yarns into the various types of fabric that we can make out of wool, um, if we're making a, a woven um, woolen fabric, we can do a process called fulling. And people whose last name are Fuller are actually people who fold for a living. I saw a presentation at a textile history conference in December actually where somebody um, actually uh, made some fold wool uh, because they were trying to figure out how to replicate uh, military uniforms or, or garments from kind of the Revolutionary War era. 
And so people would weave the wool themselves, but then they would take it to a person called a fuller that had a machine that kind of pounded the wool to make it, uh, the, to make the surface tighter. So this um, uh, historian had found some different uh, um, d descriptions of mechanics and was, she used her washing machine, right? And what she found was a, uh, an accounts book where a fuller was noting how much the wool weighed when the customer gave it to him and how big it was and then how much smaller it was after they were done fulling it. So she could estimate like the percent reduction in length, right? And so she was trying to see like how long it took to um, get the uh, get the fiber to be that the fabric to be that much tighter. Um, I should explain what fulling is. So fulling is when we tighten up the weave by sh by it's basically controlled felting. Um, so it's like would be a loose, open, coarse weave, but then we can use uh, hot water and agitation to tighten the fabric. It felts just a tiny bit, and then this newly fulled fabric is a little bit more waterproof. It's um, uh, the wind doesn't whistle through it as well, right? Um, the surface will be a little bit um, tighter, right? And um, actually, I don't know if you've ever watched that particular episode of um, Outlander. It's a series on, I think, the Stars Channel. And in this particular episode, the character is like a World War II nurse who's traveled back in time mysteriously, and it's a romantic hijinks ensue. Um, and so there she is in like um, uh, whatever century Scotland, I can't remember at the moment, but primitive uh, wool producing culture. And uh, she's like hanging out with the other ladies, like they're having like a chick afternoon, and uh, it involves fulling wool. So they've got a big wooden table and they've got pieces of wool and they're actually fulling it using their, their hands, right? So the agitation is them like um, slamming the wool down against the table, scrubbing it towards each other and then pulling it away, right? Um, and the moisture is provided by the fact that the wool is wet. Passing around a flask, everybody's drinking the whiskey, having a good old time. At a certain point she's like, you know, wow, I've drank so much whiskey, I gotta pee goes into a tent or it's like to go over to you know relieve herself and they run over with a bucket and they're like do it here and she's like okay that's handy you got a bucket for me this is like a great festival I'm at right then they take the bucket with the <laughs> warm you know and splash it down the table in fact there's chemicals in urine that were useful for fulling so if your last name's Fuller at any rate, um, that's what she discovered through time traveling. So uh, yes, fulling uh, tightens up the, the weave in a wool fabric. Um, and uh, so that's one um, finish that, uh, that is pretty standard um, for wool. Uh, so that is the story of wool. Uh, next time we'll talk about other specialty fibers that come from animals.